0: Well, I'm always so thankful when, I, when you hear uh, someone get up and say, turn in your Bibles and you hear all these pages turning. Uh, if, you're, if you're new here, uh, what an exciting thing it is every Sunday, week in and week out, to be able to come and study the Word of God uh, with one another. But Philippians is the book that we've been uh, parking ourselves in for quite some time now. And we are now moving towards the end of the book. And I really think as we cover today, what you're going to find is Paul has been crescendoing and talking about this very situation that, that he has continued to lay foundation over and over again, words of kindness, words of grace, words of truth, so that when he would get to the hard things that the Philippian church would have to deal with, that they would, there would be mental Preparation so that all that he had previously said would now be applied to a very specific situation. Well, as we think of this whole concept this morning, we're going to talk about conflict, the enemy of unity. Now, I think probably many people here have been in a church long enough or been part of a church here or there or somewhere where you have heard about a church split. Now, isn't that sad that we could probably reference that in reality and have everybody go, ah, yes, I get that. I grew up in various circles where at times uh, churches would split for a variety of different reasons. You had First Baptist Church on one block and uh, Second Baptist Church on another. And they didn't realize, First Baptist Church didn't realize at one moment that they were going to be a church planter. But it wasn't intentional. See, conflict tends to be the very enemy of the desire that we have for unity but in fact as you come into the church it's not the thing that you'd expect to happen you expect unity you expect yourself to grow in a level of unity but what you often don't expect is that conflict becomes the mechanism by which unity is brought forth no one likes conflict if we had to have a raise of hands of how many people really enjoy conflict I mean, there'd probably be a couple in here. I'm, I'm sure there's a couple who are like, "Oh yeah, meet me in the back. Let's do this." Some people love a level of controversy and dis, uh, you know, a, a debate of some sort. But it is unfortunate that in the reality of even church ministry, there are often church splits for very minor disagreements that occur on a regular basis. I wonder how many, as I was preparing for this sermon, I, I began to think to myself, I wonder how many churches began as a result of unresolved conflict within the body that resulted in another church, either in the community or someone going off saying, now I'm going to church plant. See this happens all the time. It happens not only in church but it happens also in business environments and all kinds of different environments where employers and employees and employees to employees can't get along. I certainly think that uh, it was likely of the individual who would uh, experience this kind of circumstance as they put this particular uh, cartoon together. As they became for one of their board meetings, he says, I think the first item on the agenda will be to unload all our weapons. You know, the the reality in in conflict is often verbal assault and weaponizing even scripture to, to argue for a point that you feel so adamantly about and you begin to tool yourself with scripture so you can force the other person to agree with whatever they're disagreeing with. And unfortunately, I've been in plenty of business meetings in churches over the years where it's become very conflicting at very... Uh, at certain moments, but these are the things that happen. I also want us to connect this reality as we think about this text of Scripture, which we've been driving home as a, th- as a theme verse to the book of Philippians in Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. He says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of you you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the sake of the gospel. Now I want you to notice in the text before us that was just read, you hear those identical words and there's the connection with the thematic portion of our entirety of our book. These two ladies served what? Side by side for the sake of the gospel. Now Paul all the way up to this particular point He is driving home this idea of oneness of mind, oneness of spirit, oneness of thinking, compassionate hearts, don't grumble and complain. And now Epaphroditus comes back with this letter and and he had heard and he understood that what he had brought to Paul and he realizes that there's this scenario, this situation within the church. And of course, we're introduced to, in, introduced to this situation in Philippians chapter 4, verse 2, between two particular ladies. Before we just get into that section, let me just say this about the importance of this section of scripture. One is because nobody likes conflict. I've never, I've never had a counseling session or a premarital session or a or a family circumstance where everybody comes, all, comes in and says, we can all agree with this. We'd love to fight. No, they're always coming in with some level of disunification where they want to be mended. No one likes it, and yet it happens. No Christian appreciates having to have the tension in their mind with another individual And so this is really important as we look at this text of Scripture because it's really calling us to think, how do we do this? How do we think to ourselves, uh, how should we handle these various elements? Because the main idea of this text is this, that a gospel-centered community must help each other live at peace. Now, this is really a really difficult call. Especially when even Christian people become so adamant about things, perspective, preferences that they feel so strongly about. Here's another important reality of this text that is before us as we walk through it. Is that conflict will always reveal what is inside your heart Already. You're upset, you say some words, I don't know anybody who hasn't been upset at some particular point in some conversation, and they let something fly. And they they will say these like, it's like I saw the words go out of my mouth, and I couldn't reel them back in quick enough. They were already there. Or they'll say excuses of things like, oh, no, no, that wasn't me. It was just been a long day. Oh, no, friend, that was you. That was the unguarded you that you didn't want everyone else to see. That was your unguarded heart. And conflict only reveals what's already in there. When you become impassioned about some particular thing and you, or you become cantankerous about something, that is probably more you than the unguarded you. And you have to look at your own heart and realize that conflict is there at times so that you can see something about you that you don't want to see the way you love people or don't love people the way you're willing to be patient or impatient the way you're gonna be willing to be filled with grace or graceless here's another challenge and why this section is so important because people often are people pleasers people pleasers don't like conflict do they They do everything they possibly can, and then they, I love, they always use this verse on me, but love covers a multitude of sins, so I just cover everything, but yeah, but you're pulling a U-Haul full of things that you don't want to talk about all the time. Why are you doing that? Love seemed to, didn't hook up a trailer full of past argumentations and things you don't like. See, people-pleasing even allows us sometimes to go to the Scripture and say, well, love will just cover it. No, love covers it through dealing with it and dealing with it through forgiveness. If there are issues. You don't just say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to agree to disagree. Oh, I've heard that a million times in the counseling room. There are things we talk about and then there are things we choose not to talk about. And as long as we follow that, we're okay. What are you doing here? It seemed to not be going okay. At some point, those things that you don't want to talk about becomes the things that you should be. So what I do in premarital counseling is tell people, listen, let's talk about all the things you don't want to talk about and let's get them out on the table, because then it'll help you fight less. Because if you if you're all glassy-eyed and all think, oh, they're amazing and they're never gonna sin, it's not possible. I want you to know how to have unity in the midst of Struggle. This is another reason why this is important. Because some people love peace so much they would be willing not to talk to one another about it. And call it a version of peace of their own making. But what they generally tend to do in their mind that they think they can have peace is, I stay away from them. I'll come in this door, they'll come in that door, I know where they sit, and so I'll sit on the opposite side in a larger church. We just happen not to run into each other. No, sometimes that's designed by people who don't want to talk to each other. We have to be very careful that we don't love peace so much that we're unwilling to engage in areas where it's difficult to find unity. Because it's at those moments, Christians, that we find something out about how much we love the gospel, how much we appreciate our brothers and sisters in Christ, and how much we're willing to actually get into the trench, figure it out, be gracious, be forgiving, be merciful. A gospel-centered community has to help each other with focusing on this and helping each other live at peace which means as we walk through the text it's going to answer this question which is how should conflict in the church be handled and it's going to have some very immediate application but it's also going to have some outside or furthering application outside this just about conflict resolution in general so let's take a look at the first one as we think about this together as we come to verse number two what we find is a request from the apostle Paul in the lives of these individuals and he says this he says I entreat you Yodia and, and I entreat you Syntyche to agree in the Lord now if you're following along on your notes and you're walking through this is right under our ish, our subject of request now notice this here it is you uh, here you have Epaphroditus coming and they're reading the, the letter out loud now it's very uncommon by the way for the Apostle Paul to call out individual names when there is an issue. It is so uncommon in Paul's letters. When he mentions your name, uh, he'll do it for commendation. But for conflict, it's, he does it a few different times. Now, don't jump to this conclusion. You're like, you know what? I know you guys. you might be tempted to think, you guys sitting out there, there's another woman, lady squabble another catfight fight in the corner why is this happening it's the ladies they're the problem no they're not I've seen plenty of men squabble it just happens to be that they are the context of controversy in this particular local church well there are plenty of contexts of men arguing at various components and Paul has to deal with those so don't jump to that conclusion but I do want you to recognize this Paul's desire for the, for the unification of these two ladies and the unity of the church was so important that is even reflected in his request to these women. He uses the word that is often used, the, the, the word for paraclete, uh, here to say, I entreat you. That word itself has a, a sense of elasticity. So that yes, it can mean helper, it can mean a sister, uh, it can mean it can mean all kinds of things. But in this particular case, he's saying, "I urge you, I strongly appeal to you." Now he's doing that on purpose so that he can say, "This is how important this is." Now I can I can think you know I don't know exactly what the context of the struggle or how big the environment of the church was. If Epaphroditus comes and brings and and they're reading this letter, and they get to this point and Yodi is over here and Syntyche is over here. I mean, just try to picture that in your mind. Because they haven't been getting along. It's now become so public that people in the body have been accustomed to them not getting along. So notice it seeps in so that conflict between two individuals often becomes something that more people know about. And they either choose to help or they choose to dismiss it in a way where you say, Ah, well, that's Yodi and Syntyche. You're going to often see them doing things like this. And we say, well, so we just kind of mark that. You know, if you're a new member and you're here, something like, oh, yeah, they're always over there doing that. You should be saying, and nobody's helped them. Like, no one's came to their aid. No one's came to them and said, what can we do to help? Well, this is the request of Paul. He sees the situation has arisen to such a degree that these two ladies, and you could only imagine. I mean, if you were Yodi and you heard your first, you know, if you were Sintike and you heard Yodia's address first, like, I entreat you, Yodia. I bet Sintike was probably be like, this is what I'm talking about. You know, he could have said and only used, I entreat you once, but he uses it in front of both admonitions to the ladies. I entreat you. Yodia, I entreat you, Syntyche, what is he doing even grammatically and expressing I am for both of you and for whoever needs to fix whatever side you happen to be on. I care about both of you and I am urging and appealing you and you so that neither one of them could walk away going, which side are you on? Oh, I often see this happen in various components as people talk about disagreements and maybe you have noticed this. People will generally tell you a portion of their story. For what purpose? What motive? Like, you see what I'm saying, right? Yeah, that's what I thought. You're kind of with us. They're on team number one. Come on over here. See, we try to say portions of things so that we cannot fix the problem, but so that we can gain more support for our position. See, that's not a way to deal with conflict. And the request is, notice this, I urge you, Yodi and Syntyche, to agree in the Lord. There was a larger commonality that these two ladies had that they had in the Lord and that they would agree in the Lord. Now let's just pause for a moment and just at least ask this textual question. Are we dealing with some kind of doctrinal error between Yodi and Syntyche. I don't think so. I think what we're dealing with, and why, why would we say that? Well, one, if, if, Paul, if one woman was thinking in an unbiblical manner and the other one was thinking in a biblical manner, then you would, you would likely expect the Apostle Paul to say, we've got all this, He's, he was a mastermind at this doctrinal stuff. Like he was going to lay out the doctrine and say, you've got to think this way. But he doesn't do that, which lends me to believe that the challenge with Yodi and Syntyche was not necessarily doctrinal, but preferential. Now, if you think about the preferences that exist within a body, uh, do we have a few? (laughs) Do you have a few? Everybody has some. I mean, Thomas Rainer wrote an article uh, not too long ago about the things that cause conflict in the church, and, and one of the number one things that generally tend to find conflict in the church is change. Like, are you one of those, you've got to ask yourself at that point, are you one of those people who just has such an aversion to change that you hear the word and you cringe? Like, <gasps> you know what the other one was? A, number, a few other ones? how to deal with people. The bodies in disagreement about how to, how to show grace, how to be charitable, how to deal with various situations. Those cause conflict. Uh, you know what the other one was? Oh man, I mean, I, I thought about this one right away, because it was within his top five. Length of sermon. I'm thinking, I wondered how many people walked out on a Sunday morning and like, great job, Pastor. <laughs> you were consistently long reality is all kinds of things bring to the forefront whatever's happening in the heart every word you say every look you give every perspective you have it was generated from someplace deeper which is why Paul was so concerned that they agree in the Lord Because there was a perspective that both of them should have toward one another that superseded their preferential differences. It superseded what was going on in their their lives between each other. They should have been looking at each other and saying, that's my sister in Christ. I love them. Oh, I wish I could say it was different over 20-some years of pastoral experience to, to see that people in the body, it saddens me, to watch people in the body have preferential differences that turn into separating, divisive moments in their life and in the life of the body. I mean, you could Google division in the church and you'd get thousands of articles. I mean, we should be thinking to ourselves if it is that pervasive, then I better guard my heart because if I'm not careful, and I want something so bad, I could be a source of conflicting moments and division within the life of the body. Well, Paul says, listen, Yodi and Syntyche agree in the Lord. Now, historically speaking, this is not an unfathomable perspective, because when Paul was given the Macedonian call and went to the city of Philippi, who were the first people that he was introduced to in the church? It was Ladies. Some have, because we have very little understanding of who these two individuals were, some will argue, well, these must be long-standing, very solid foundational pillars who were the women in the church that were down by the river with Lydia. They were certainly a significant part. Who they were, we have little reference to. But they were an important part of the body. And what this simply tells us is, is that you might tend to think to yourself, well, it's only two of them. Like, I remember when my dad, my dad was a bus driver uh, part-time for a certain amount of time, and there was only a certain amount of latitude he could do that when somebody was starting to fight on the bus. And so finally, one day, I remember him telling me this story where we, he, he, all of a sudden, these two kids were fighting on the bus, and he just pulls the bus over to the side, and he opens the door. He says, go outside and do that. You just can't do it in here. Sometimes we, we want to do that in the church. Like, room 25 is open that's the conflict room in the church. But we don't send anybody to help. We just let them go round after round after round after round. And I'll tell you, I, I mean, confessionally speaking, I like to be right. Don't you? I mean, there is elements in our own soul that is like, I am right and I like it. Therefore, when I get into a conflict, even at times, the tendency maritally is to be like, you just haven't seen all the argument yet. But at times, it's, guess what? If you have two people who are willing to argue for what they believe is right, I mean, don't you at sometimes, fictitiously, in your mind, when you have a disagreement, even in marriage, you want to go, <laughs> The ring is open, sweetheart. Here's your gloves. Ding, ding. You think you're right? I've got a few things to say, too. We don't listen. We reload as they're talking. We're not interested in what's going on. At the end of it, we're not even interested in what's right. We're not even concerned about who they are, who they've been to us. We just want to be right. That cannot be the attitude in the Christian community. It has to be that we we seek and strive after rejoicing in unity, that we look at one another as side-by-side participants in the gospel ministry so that we, in every area we can agree in the Lord, we do so. And the things that are preferential, we allow them to simply drift off because they are not the main focus of why we come together as a church. Oh, church member, if, if, if you could anchor this into your soul, that you are not going to make minor things major things. You would help the body of Christ to be the example of unity that, that, that Jesus Christ longs for. In his high priestly prayer when he says, Make them one. See, every time we have an opportunity to resolve things and not weigh heavily on our preferences, and we prefer unity, and we rejoice together because we agree in the Lord of the things that matter the most, God is glorified by that. And Jesus' prayer is answered that we are more one in agreement. You and I have that opportunity in the body of Christ. Macedonian women were often much more vocal in the Macedonian region it's historically known that they're often given more more different positions more vocal than perhaps very Jewish uh, women in the Jewish culture and so many often would say Sintiki must have been of that Macedonian women perspective and there was this, this strong woman who really wanted to voice her opinion and guess what there's nothing wrong with a strong woman like I prefer women that know how to think Versus just say, okay, I'll just do whatever. (laughs) Because if they say that, then how quickly will they be led into sin? No, you need to be a Christian, a Christian woman, a Christian man who knows how to think in a way that you can put preferences aside and know what matters the most. That is so critical. Well, we know that these individuals, we know this, they were members of the church, That's what made it critical. They were impacting the church. They were co-laborers with Paul. That's why he uses the word side-by-side and for what purpose. Hence, we think maybe these were just now newfound unbeliever counterfeits. No, they were genuine Christians. They labored side-by-side for the gospel. They were sisters in Christ. Their names were found in the book of life. Oh it's so it's it's so fascinating to me that in our minds in the midst of conflict how quickly we look at the other person's perspective that could be preferential in nature and we view them as an enemy instead of as a brother or sister in Christ. Once you make a concession by the way that they are your enemy, I mean what do you do with people who are enemies? You fight them. This is why it was so countercultural in Romans 12 that Jesus says, what do you do to your enemy? Love those who don't love you. Do good to those who do evil against you. I mean, this was so countercultural. These were sisters in Christ, women who had worked and labored alongside Paul for so many years. And he says this, agree. That word agree, is, is, it's translated in the ESV, is the same exact word that happens in Philippians chapter 2, Uh, in the very early part of this you can notice it in Philippians chapter 2 verses 1 if there's any encouragement in Christ any comfort from love any participation in the spirit any affection and sympathy complete my joy by being of the same mind that idea same mindset that's the word agree in the Lord have the same mind together notice how he's connecting this All throughout the book, he's preparing for this moment when he knows in the congregation, all of a sudden, these two ladies' names are going to be read, and here was the challenge. He didn't know how deep the division likely would have went. See, it's uncanny how quickly even preferential perspectives become certain sections of an auditorium, isn't it? Oh, I agree with so-and-so. Oh, they're my friend. See, oh, I disagree with so-and-so. They're my enemy now. See, we can't have that within within the body of Christ. He wants them to have, and all of us in the Philippian church, to have the same mind. But notice what he's doing. He's saying, complete my what? Joy. See, this is a process that is going to be something we have to say, Lord, we need your help, but it can't be something we say we're never going to deal with. We have to rejoice that God is bringing these circumstances to the surface so that we can handle them. And to some reality, I want us to think about it in this way, that when Paul had to request and address these two particular ladies, how much of a service Paul was doing to the church by singling them out and saying, we can't just keep going on like this. It's going to destroy us. We have to love one another. We have to help each other, which is exactly why this very next component turns in from request to the rescue mission. See, when conflict happens, the the, the ultimate reality is we want restoration, don't you? And And I don't know about you, but there, there, I've always found that in various relationships, there is either one or the other. One responds with, they seem to be able to sit on it for a while without restoration, and they seem to kind of, they can function, okay? And the other person might want it really bad, so bad to the point where they won't ever let anyone sleep until it's over. I don't know which one of those you are in the relationships you have, but the reality is, is I've heard various times in, in, the, in the time that I've been helping people through the years, someone will say something like this. Like, this was such a serious issue, and they just fell asleep on me. I said, what time was it when you were doing it? It was like 2 in the morning, but they have no right for that. Like, we start garnering perspectives that no one is going to be happy until we resolve it. There are ways to not let the sun go down on your wrath and most of the time the wrath is there, the sun's already gone down, okay? So then you have to think, what do I do so that I can then say, I love you, I'm committed to this, I'm committed to our marriage, I'm committed to this relationship, but I know right now at this particular hour we are probably not at a position where we can have a very good thoughtful conversation with the exhaustion that both of, both of us are experiencing let's commit ourselves to the next day setting aside a time to talk about this and find restoration see that's not going to bed in wrath that's not unresolved issues that's saying there's tension I recognize it and the reality is, is I've made a plan to deal with it where we get into problems is is when we say I'm not going to deal with it and we make no time to actually address it And that happens all the time because we don't circle back around and say, okay, remember that? Because somebody's thinking to themselves, like, I want to plan for another fight tomorrow. Who does that? Like, we're already arguing now and you want to put on the calendar time to argue tomorrow? No, see, it's not time to argue. It's time to restore, try to understand. Try to hear one another. Listen, be filled with grace and mercy. These are opportunities for you and I to exercise our fruits of the Spirit in the midst of difficulty. The rescue mission then is called by Paul as he looks in, as he says in Philippians chapter 4. Notice, he says, Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me. Now, I, there is a huge textual question about this person the true companion or literally literally expressed in the language the true yoke fellow well there's a lot of perspective and if you probably have a study Bible you probably are looking at it right now and you're thinking who is this guy well well some will argue this well maybe the, the idea Paul is doing is putting a, a kind of a a word play together because the Greek word for this true person, this true yoke fellow is the word sisychus. And so they're saying, ah, you know what? I'm going to resolve the problem of who he is because this is a definite noun. This is a name for the person. This is genuine sisychus. Many people take that. Okay, you're not wrong if you do. So don't be scratching it out of your study Bible just yet. The other part of it, some people say, well, I don't know if that's the case because, as we study that particular word, we don't find any Greek name of that sort anywhere recorded. So I don't. So they'll say, well, I don't. I don't necessarily think it's the name of a person more than it's a, 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 a description of a person that all the Philippian church knew. Other people will say this. I think it's Luke. Because if you go back to Acts 16, it's talking about the Philippian church, and he uses the word we, and I think maybe the true companion could be Luke. I don't think you're a heretic if you say Luke. I don't think you're wrong if you say Sisychus is the proper name of an individual. Or if you're like me and say, I think this is a guy in the church that had become so familiar and helpful To not only in companionship with Paul, but everybody in the body knew this guy was a peacemaker. I'll tell you what, I know people like that within the body of Christ. They just want people to get along and they're able to help manage different strong perspectives between people to say, you guys or you ladies need some help and I want to help. So either where, wherever you land on on who you happen to think this is, one of the things we could agree on is this. He's a member of the church because everybody knew him. He calls him a true companion. He is alongside or side-by-side with all the other body members in the church at Philippi. I think when they heard that read true companion, I think everybody in the church probably went, oh, he's calling so-and-so again. He's bringing in the reinforcements buckle up, Yodi and because he's going to get to the bottom of this. And I bet there was some point of it when it reached this escalated point that Paul had to write to him that everybody in the church was probably like, oh, thank the Lord that he's finally going to get involved. He wants him to, why? He wants him to agree in the Lord and this true companion, this helper in the church, he he then... Paul gives them this, this imperative to the true companion. Help these women. Help them. It was no longer this, well, don't sit on the side. you like, take it in and let's come to an agreement. Let's have unity." And this true companion was in that particular regard. He was the helper of these women. He was an helper to the body. It was God's design for body involvement. Don't sit there as a church member and say, Well, man, I know that there's this argument between a couple of people and they're sitting across from church to each other every Sunday for the last year and you just sit there and maybe even one of them's come to you and maybe even enlisted you and tried to get you on their side and, you know, people start coming to me when that was the case as a pastor when the first thing I asked them was, have you talked to them? Well, well, no. Like, when you start actually addressing people to say, you got to talk to them. You shouldn't be talking to me. Because what am I doing? I'm guarding from gossip, slander, and grumbling within the body in my own soul. So that as I get up and I preach and as I meet various people in the body, that I don't look and go, they introduced themselves to me and then I had that little occasion before the church service started and I go, oh, 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 you're the one, you're the one and it changes my mind so you gotta guard that Christian we're called to love that that love believes all things and that we get involved we help each other We we help each other grow in the Lord in such a way that we put away grumbling slander and gossip in the midst of the body why is this so important Because if you think about it, a cross-reference passage that I would go to to help reinforce this is Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. And you'll notice something very interesting in the book of Galatians when he he talks about this to the Galatian believers. but But he says this, If, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual would restore him in a spirit of gentleness, keeping watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. And here's what I would admonish us as a congregation. that There should be a lot of Galatians 6.1 going on in the body, if need be, far long before a Matthew 18 would ever exist and happen. So that we are caring for one another's soul, and we're saying, it seems like you're caught here. Help me understand what's going on. And I begin to start walking through, hearing, listening, doing what the Proverbs say, that you don't answer before you you hear something. But if they're caught in something, and these two ladies were caught in something, it wasn't doctrinal error. But notice how quickly preferential components become heart-centered sins of frustration and anger and bitterness and complaining and slander and gossip because it didn't start out doctrinally, doesn't make the end result any better, because I think what's going on here is these two ladies are looking at each other in a preferential manner, and they're disgusted at each other. They don't want to see each other when they come to the, to the church together. They don't, they don't really care about each other as much anymore. And when that happens, a true companion would follow what Galatians 6 says. This true yoke fellow in the church would say, you know what, we've got to talk about this But they have to have the right spirit, and here's the spirit. One, first of all, you got to be spiritual. (laughs) You might roll by that and say, you which are spiritual. I will say this, that sometimes unspiritual people try to resolve problems and create more problems. That means you've got to be spiritual. You've got to be exemplifying the fruits of the spirit. You've actually got to be walking by the spirit, if you can't even find resolution in other relational issues, but now you think you're the one to solve this one, maybe that's a little bit of a log in your own eye, and you got to take that out before you actually try to help the speck in somebody else's eye. See, we have to be super careful because this person's a spiritual person. And then their goal of that spiritual person is restoration. Restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Like there are times that people have conflict and you'll hear people express their perspective of what they think about how they've handled the situation and you'll hear people say this, I think I've said it at different times, so it happens. Like I was gentle. I was filled with grace. How dare you say that? Like we don't even realize that at some moment it is not who gets to determine whether that was merciful and gracious. Well, doesn't Ephesians 4.29 that says, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but only as things that are building up of believers so that it may give grace to those who hear it. So I I don't get to be the one to say, well, you just... You must have had wax in your ears, or you had some earplugs in, and you didn't see and hear the grace that I had. Because I long for unity. Just stop doing what you're doing. See, we've got to be people of grace. It comes out on our face. It comes out in our tone. It exudes out of our personal character in a way that no matter who would view it, they would go, No, that's grace now that's mercy now that's kindness now that is patience and that is love we ought to strive for that the spiritual person who goes to restore has to be a spirit uh, has to be a person who's geared on restoration with gentleness and they keep watch over themselves they're careful with this they why why are they careful because they don't want to be tempted This is why I often don't hear certain things until I say to someone when they come to me, and this is why they stopped coming, because I would end the conversation with something like this. And now you're probably thinking, I'm never going to him, ever. I'll go to someone else. I'll say this. Well, you should go check with them, and I'll check back with you that you checked with them. Like, you should see the look on people's faces when that happens, like, I just made a really wrong move because he cares enough to walk with me and I'll say to them, if it doesn't go well and you need help, let me know. Because I care about you and I care about whoever this other person is. Because I will often stop them and say, I don't need to know a name. First I just need to know if you went to them. And if you haven't even done that, let's be really careful where we tread. Let's be very cautious about how we deal with this and if you're looking for advice on how to do it, I can help with that, but you're still called to actually go to them in that uncomfortable moment where you lose sleep the night before because you know you have a meeting with somebody and you're going to have to talk about the things that are really hard. Don't you find that that helps you pray? I mean, you, you end up laboring in prayer like, oh, Lord, I, I love them. I want them to see the right thing. I care about them. Instead of just dreading a circumstance like, oh man, tomorrow, dear God, help us both. (laughs) No, we start praying very specifically about circumstances in my own heart. Oh God, keep me from this. Help my tonation to be one of grace and kindness so that we're willing to work through things. Why? Because we're called in Galatians 6 to bear one another's burdens. I don't think that when this true companion was called upon to do this in the Philippian church, I don't think he stood up and was like, are you serious ladies? I have to get involved? I think his point was like, wherever I can be of service, I want to help because I care about the body of Christ and Paul calls him as the true companion and member in the body or wherever you land with that uh, to simply say, help is on the way. and I think the body is relieved when they know one another cares about each other enough That help is on the way now why would he do that well he moves from the request to the rescue and now he gives us the reason why this is so important to him he says help these women and here's the descriptions who have labored side by side with me it was personal see here's here's one thing to, to mark in your own mind If you as a Christian come into this congregation or this auditorium or a Sunday school class or a perspective and you say, I don't want anything to do with that person. There's already something going wrong in your heart. It's personal in such a way that you should be able to meet anybody in the body of Christ in this church and say, I love you. I may not agree on every single preferential component. I may not agree on every single nuance of everything. You might walk away and be like, you know what? I can't believe the pastor doesn't believe it's a proper name. I can't believe he doesn't believe it's Luke. Okay, you're not going to do that, hopefully. But you might do other things. I can't believe they thought this way. I can't believe they dressed this way. I can't believe they listened to this. I can't believe they talked to that person. I can't believe they... They, they, they chose this or that or whatever it happens to be that is so important to you and you fail to see that you're laboring side by side together it should be personal for you if it's not and you look at people who are in who are struggling it with each other whether it's conflict in the body conflict in marriage conflict in relationships and you kinda go like open the bus door and say take it outside or take it to room 25 and uh, we'll see you next week <laughs> That's not good. These are people who we're called to love, labor with in such a way. Now he even extends it, and this is where he gets right into where our theme verse was. They labored side by side. It's this military focus. It's this solid perspective where I said, I have a comrade. I have a sister or a brother in Christ. I have a, I have a youth group member who is with me, and we are trying to draw ourselves closer to the Lord. Oh, this can happen in every perspective of the church, whether it's a particular Sunday school class, a youth group, a college ministry, friendships and marriages, you name it, all of that gets, by the way, brought on Sunday morning. You didn't check that at the door. I wonder how often people don't check their relational health and unity in the midst of the body and then we go on a Sunday and we take communion and we're just fine with that. When it's an ordinance that displays unity, is why we make a concerted effort to try to help you by some regularity to say here is when communion is going to take place because I'll tell you what's going on in my mind even now we're two weeks away from from taking communion again and I'm thinking to myself am I paying attention to what's going on in my mind in the life of the body am I caring for people am I caring for my marriage am I caring for my my family is there un- are there disrupted relationships are there things that I'm anchoring down on that I shouldn't so that when I come to that moment and we, we eat the bread and we drink the cup of the Lord until he comes we've done it with a sense of examining ourselves all oh, Christian don't take that lightly I think this is part of the problem how do you live in a church of Philippi with infighting going on and then trying to have the Lord's table on a regular basis we ought to take this so serious We labor together side by side for the sake of the gospel. And Paul says, uh, he says, it was with me in the gospel. It was personal to him. It was together with all these other individuals. Clement, we know very little about. And the rest of the fellow workers, and I love this, this last statement, whose names are found in the book of life. Stop for a moment, I want you to think this. I want you to think to yourself. Who is the person that you have the most difficulty with in your life? Don't yell it out loud. We don't want to create conflict. If they're a believer, their name is found in the book of life. You have a Christian duty, a Christian responsibility, to allow that to be the lens by which you view them. They are redeemed, regenerated, indwelt by the spirit person who is now a child of God, adopted into his family to display the riches and the understanding of the love of Christ. That's who they are. And how dare we look at them any other way? no matter how hard it is to have a conversation find common ground we should never find ourselves saying to ourselves you know what I think I maybe just need to find another church because you know what you're gonna do you're just gonna take that to some other church and go poison and bring all that somewhere else when you deal when you don't deal with conflict and it's unresolved you just carry it around and that becomes your identity by the way this is one of the reasons why some people, even within the body of Christ, get to points where they say they're, they're characterized by such a combative nature. And they will say things and say, and I've, I've watched it, I've watched, I've watched people excuse themselves with this cultural comment. Well, you know my personality. <laughs> it's just a very upfront, type A kind of guy. Oh, I didn't realize that type A, those kind of people are allowed to sin in that kind of way. (laughs) Sorry, but your personality does not give you a license to sin. I don't care how you view yourself or how the culture tells you to view yourself, but when you say, am I characterized, it should be, I'm characterized by Christ. It shouldn't be to use all kinds of cultural acronyms or cultural perspectives to simply relieve yourself of the tension of not dealing with stuff. No matter how you describe yourself, people will describe you as combative, hard to get along, difficult. And guess what? People tend to pull away from those kind of relationships. They don't run to them. They run away from them. And if they're running away, and we're all running away from each other because that's who we end up being, think of what the body of Christ will become like in the community. Oh, yeah, I remember, you're like the fourth person I heard that ran from that circumstance. Man, what are they doing up there? (laughs) It starts to permeate not only what happens inside, but how people view the church outside. And starts to view the way they think about the gospel and its ministry and its power to bring unity. I would challenge you as a Christian, when you think about Romans chapter 12, to hear these words let your love be genuine. Abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, but fervent in spirit and serve the Lord. And then he skips down and he says these words. Bless those who persecute you. Bless those who and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Christians, that's our duty. rejoice in unity so that the peace of God could be experienced when people come to this place and join this church that they say man those people love each other they do the things that are the hardest to do that you never expect to turn out in unity but they love each other enough to address it when they need to they're not run to each other on every little teeny thing but when sin is involved they're willing to to go into the trenches and figure it out how to deal with it so that they, that they guard unity at all costs. Christian, remember, your heart is revealed. God providentially brings circumstances so that we could allow our heart to be addressed. Ask for God's wisdom as you address these issues. He'll give it to you. Remember, God is up to doing something in your heart and the heart of the other person that you're, that you're, that you're trying to be restored with. But I'll just ask you a couple of questions in ending. Ask yourself, how are you known in the church? Are you a conflict maker or a conflict resolver? If other people had to say which one of those two categories that they would put you in, where do you think they'd put you Are you called on in any measure, in some length, in some relationship that exists within your life to be that true companion who comes in and says, we've got to figure this out. You need some help, and I'm, I'm, I want to help you, so let me know where I can be of help. Are you that kind of person? How quickly do you jump to conclusions about someone else that have no justified perspective, that you're not allowing 1 Corinthians 13 to be played out in your life applicationally that love believes all things until you actually know the truth of the matter. Be people, let's be a body of believers who work so hard at unity that our communities describe us as the chapel, as people who are people of love and grace and mercy. If we do that, God will be glorified. If we do that, the Bible says that God takes care of it. and guess what? What is the very thing that draws people to a church? What is the, it's the same thing that drew people to a saving faith in Jesus Christ and it's the kindness and love of Christ. It's the same thing that, I, that will often draw people to a community is the kindness and love of Christ. Let's be those people and commit ourselves to rejoicing in unity because we're side by side for the sake of the gospel. Let's pray. Father, conflict is hard. <laughs> Preferences mean a lot to us in our own mind. But we need your help. We want to be unified. We don't want to be conflict makers to one another, but be ones who are ready and quick to restore relationships wherever they don't seem to agree in the Lord. Help us to be those true companions. In the body of Christ who can be called upon to help restore. Lord, that you would guard our hearts from being prideful and sinful in ways that sometimes being right means more than being right with you. Lord, help us to be people filled with, with grace, with the purpose of peace. We need the, the work of the Spirit of God who indwells us to that end. In your name we pray. Amen.